Go ahead and have a seat. If you brought your Bibles and want to follow along, we are in Luke chapter 15, starting with 11. Luke 15, 11. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the, fa- and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Today we focus on this unimaginable grace of the father. This is a parable of the prodigal son that you've probably heard countless times. And we can see it lived out in our day, in our, in our homes and, and at work. For those of you who have multiple kids, these kids, our, our kids, our sons and daughters, they compare the love and the time and the gifts that you give to one another against what you give to them. Or maybe you see it at work. At work, maybe you're, maybe you're the one who just busts their tail and does a great job, but there's somebody else at work who just, just barely gets by, does poor work. And then when, when the management gives them something to do and they do well, they celebrate and completely ignore the amazing work that you've been doing consistently. So it's natural when we have a parable to see where do we fit into this parable. And, and there's two obvious places, right? There's the, the elder son and the younger son. Maybe you see yourself as the younger son, the prodigal son. Perhaps you're, you're living life just full speed ahead, pursuing your earthly passions. Or maybe in that pursuit you found yourself at rock bottom. Or wanting forgiveness, but don't feel like you're worthy of it. Or maybe more likely you're the, the pouting older self-righteous son. Look down on others. You're quick to judge. You think God shows favoritism to our country or to a particular political party. What new thing 
are we supposed to walk away with today? I have to confess that most of the sermons that I've personally preached, I focus on the younger son because I can connect with that younger son who's, who's gone off, lived life on their own terms, and come to complete, total devastation. So I naturally gravitate towards that one. Perhaps you do too. Maybe you're the older son, but I don't want to preach about either one of those today. Because I don't think that's the main focus of this parable. The main takeaway of this parable is not how bad the the younger son was or how also equally bad and self-righteous the older son was. It's about the father. This parable is all about the father. Now, in this week's study, we ended up with more than 40 pages of notes. It would take hours for me to share all the cool things that we devoured in the study of this text. So I'm going to do my best to just zero down and drill deep down into taking a solid look at the Father's love. So I want to throw out this argument today that the, the most prodigal person of all in this parable is not the younger son. The most prodigal person in this story is the father. Let me unpack that. Here's what I mean by that. This word prodigal, in our minds, we think of what the, young, what the older brother thinks. That this guy has been off in Las Vegas living with prostitutes, blowing his money on sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But that's not what prodigal means. Prodigal just means he was a reckless spender. He spent everything. He was generous with friends, generous with parties, but just spent money with no concern of what the future may hold. He gives it all away. And I would argue that as much as the younger son gives his fortune away, it's the father who is far more prodigal. The father who is so much more reckless with what he gives. The prodigal is the real father. Jesus is showing us that the father is prodigal. Our heavenly father is prodigal, recklessly investing in us with his grace. That God's reckless grace is our greatest hope. It's a life-changing experience. It's important to remember at the very beginning of this story that the father, when approached by the younger brother that says, give me what is mine, he divides his inheritance between both sons. The younger son because he's going off to a far-off country, can't take property and goods with him, so he takes his cash, and he gives all his cash to his son, his younger son. But then to his oldest son, not cash, but he gives the, the company farm, the business, and all that that entails. So the father now has nothing left. The father has divided all of what is his between his two boys. Think about this, the father giving his younger son cash, knowing the nature of his son. It's not like the father just knew, now met his son. He's known his son is a spendthrift. He spends money like it's going out of style. I am giving you all that I have in cash, knowing what you're about to do with it. And he turns that cash over to his youngest and it's often said that by doing so, by this younger son saying, give me what is mine, give me my inheritance, you don't receive an inheritance unless your loved one has passed. And he's saying to his father, your cash is more important to me than you are. I wish you were dead so that I could get what's coming to me. So cash to the youngest, property to the oldest. 
the Father gave it all away. The Father also is, is so liberal with his lavish love, giving things away, that he spends so much of his time and attention with one eye at the task at hand, but the other eye looking for his lost son, scanning that horizon, hoping and praying that one day he'll see his son, longing for his son to return, just like the good shepherd searching for his sheep that we talked about last week. He gives away his attention. And he gives away his dignity. Here's how he gives away his dignity. One day while he's watching, he's scanning the horizon and he sees the silhouette who could only be his son. He knows his boy. He cares nothing for his condition. He just cares and has compassion. And before his son can make any way towards him, the father takes off running. Now something you need to understand about, about this, this Hebrew kind of culture in this way, a young boy or girl can run, a woman can run, a dignified man does not run. The father gives away all his dignity to run and grab in his arms. His son who was dead is now alive, was lost, and is now found. Not only out of compassion, but out of care. As the son leaves the community, he would have been canceled by that town. He is dead to them. That if he were to come back and show his face, more than likely the townspeople would kill him. And so willing to destroy his own dignity even further, the father runs out in protection of his son. To save him before the town folks can get there. The father gives up everything, even his own honor, to protect and gather his son. While he was still a long way off, it sounds to me like a gracious, undeserved act without any merit or worthiness in the son. The father is already actively forgiving his son before the son gets his apology out of his mouth. And the father pours out this gift of forgiveness and restoration in full. Think about it for a minute, if you will. The person who has harmed you the deepest, cut you the deepest, hurt you the most. Maybe it was a long, long time ago. Maybe it's fairly recent. And the hurt that you felt inside. Now, for some people, it's, it's, it's important to be able to love and forgive from a distance, to be able to release somebody from the wrong they've done to you without maintaining a close presence with them to continue to harm you over and over again. To love with established boundaries can be healthy for us. The father's love here is so ridiculously reckless. It's prodigal. His generous desire to give is so different than our own. He pours out love and grace and forgiveness. No reinstatement plan for the, father, for the son. No probationary period for him to work off and, and, and build trust back. It's full grace, full forgiveness, full reinstatement into the family. These gifts are so cool. He puts on this robe, the best robe, all through scripture, it talks about these righteous robes of Christ that the Heavenly Father longs to wrap us up in. That because of Christ's righteousness wrapped up around us, when the Father looks down from heaven and sees us, he sees those righteous robes of Christ. Total forgiveness and pardon. There's not even sin to forgive. It's a ring on his finger. Think of it like a signet ring. It's the family seal that says, you, you, you are not, not going to be anything less than my son. You are a full member of this family. And then shoes on his feet. Slaves and servants, they don't get to wear shoes. 
Shoes are for free men only. You are no one's slave or servant. You are my son. You are free. And these are the gifts that the Heavenly Father longs to throw over us, to wrap us up in the righteous robes of Christ, to the waters of baptism, to declare us members of his family, the Lord's Supper, his body and blood that sets us free from our sin. We receive all these gifts today. They are freely offered to us. And then look what happens next. The impact of the, of the, of the father and the returned and restored son. That the dead are alive, the lost is found. This is a time of pure, unadulterated joy. It's the father's deep desire to celebrate and rejoice in his ability to love and forgive. The attitude of the father in this moment is pure joy. There's no, I told you so, or you better not do that again, or you really made me look bad there, kiddo. It's completely, I love you. I've missed you. I am so glad you are back today. He just wants to celebrate with the son that he loves. This celebration is like the end times. It's eschatological. That's the big theology word for when Jesus comes back and the party begins. This would have been a, a community-wide celebration. This is it, the thing that we are all living and breathing and receiving grace to receive. Now, this celebration is made possible by the Father's love and a very interesting sacrifice that becomes the centerpiece of the party. Usually in a parable, we long to find where is Jesus in all of this, right? Where is Jesus? And, and Jesus is not the father or the older son or the younger son. Obviously not the younger son. The father, our heavenly father, is the father in this parable. And where is Jesus? It's not a person in this story. Now there's one animal in this story that is reserved for a very important event. The greatest celebration this family has ever known. And it's the fatted calf. Whose pure existence, pure purpose is to die so that the party can begin. Jesus is that fatted calf in our lives. That God has, has reserved for, set apart for this very special purpose. To humble himself, to live life on earth, to die on the cross to sink into the grave so that he can prove himself and show himself victorious. Jesus had to die for our party to begin. And then, in the midst of this incredible celebration that's full of joy, the older son, self-righteous party pooper, comes into the story. And he hears the party, he hears the joy, the revelry from a distance, He's been working all day. This is a work day. This is maybe Monday. He's been hard at work in the fields, laboring, sweating, bleeding, with no party. And a servant comes out and says, what? your brother is back. Oh, this is for him. And then high and mighty gets on his soapbox. I'm not going out there. I am not celebrating. I deserve that party. I've never left. I've been faithful. I've gone to Bible studies. I've gone to devotions. I've been, I've been serving in this family for decades. I get no party. Now the father in his incredible love, the same father who went out to meet his younger son, now 
again goes out from the party to sit down with his older boy. This is love and compassion with a little bit of tough love mixed in to boot. Here's how that looks. He graciously leaves the celebration, the father, to go talk to his oldest boy, to welcome him back into the celebration. This is the goal. Son, you've got to join this party. The older brother, in his hunger to receive the father's love, has been faithful, hardworking, doing his best to impress his dad. He is oozing with entitlement. In a strange way, he's now making the same demand his brother made before he left. Give me what I deserve. Give me my goat so I can play with my friends, so I can live my life. Give me what I deserve. And in his self-righteous pride, he is at this point just as lost as his brother was staring at the pods for the pigs. And the father uses, Jesus, as he tells this parable, uses this word, entreats. The father entreats his son. It's a pleading. It's a begging. I long for you to join us in the party. It's amazing. A fatted calf is fantastic. The joy is incredible. I want you to share in that. And he said to him, son, you are, you are always with me. All that I have is, is yours. What your brother wasted wasn't, wasn't mine, it was his. I'd given it to him. And then remember the beginning of this parable where the father gives and splits his inheritance between both sons. The father reminds him, um, everything that you see here, it's yours. Sorry about giving away your fatted calf, by the way, but this is yours. You can have this anytime you want. There's a commentator uh, who I'm going to quote. I'm going to edit for content because he's a little rough around the edges. Look, this is the dad talking to the son. You're standing out here in the yard as if you were some kind of beggar. Why can't you see? You own this place. The only reason you're not enjoying it is because you refuse to be dead to your dumb rules about how it should be enjoyed. Do yourself a favor. Be quiet. Forget about trying to please me. Go inside. Pour yourself a drink. Join the celebration. And the Heavenly Father, he never stops giving. Nor will he ever stop giving to you. I really love how this story doesn't end with an ending. It's a cliffhanger, right? There's no resolution with regard to what the elder son chooses to do. Will he repent and join the feast, or will he continue in his self-righteous pride to reject the father's grace and love and therefore reject the feast? With this ending, Jesus is posing a hypothetical question to his audience. His audience was mostly mixed up with, with Pharisees. A bunch of self-righteous, prideful people who thought that they were pleasing God by their actions, who were entitled to God's favor and mercy. It also allows us to view this unended parable with the question of how would we respond? See, we get to write the ending of this parable in our own lives. And the Heavenly Father today is entreating you. He is begging you, pleading you, come into the presence of my grace. Encounter my love. Let me make you a part of my family. Let me set you free. Let's celebrate.
There are two types of sinners in this parable, the, the lawbreakers and the law keepers. Both the irreligious and the religious are equally spiritually lost. Jesus loves the, the wild living, free-spiriting people, and he also loves the hardened religious people. Where are we prodigal? Liberally lavishing our love with our wealth. Where are we defiant? Where are we running from God? Or change gears. If we are like the elder brother, we believe that God ought to bless us and help us because we've worked so hard to obey him, be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper, your example, even your inspiration, but he's not your savior. You've put yourself in his place. Nearly everyone defines sin as breaking a list of rules. Jesus, though, in this parable shows us that a man who has violated virtually nothing on the list of moral misbehaviors can be every bit as spiritually lost as the most immoral person. Sin is not just about breaking the rules. It's about putting yourself in the place of God as Savior, Lord, Judge, just as each son ought to displace the authority of the Father in his own life. Here are a few signs that you might be like the elder son. Every time something goes wrong or a prayer goes unanswered, you wonder if it's because you haven't been good enough. Criticism from others doesn't just hurt your feelings, it devastates you. Without relying on God's love for your worth, you rely on the approval of others to, to bolster your sense of value. Whenever you feel unresolvable guilt, when you do something you know is wrong, your conscience torments you for a long time, even after you have acknowledged your sin and confessed it. And since you can't be sure you've repented deeply enough, you beat yourself up over and over for what you did. The clearest symptom of being an elder son is a dry prayer life. You may be diligent in prayer, but there's no wonder or awe or sense of intimacy or delight in your conversation with God. Or maybe... You're privately prodigal. Perhaps the elder brother is frustrated and mad because he wished he could have enjoyed some of that life that his younger brother did. Many elder brother self-righteous religious types are drawn into secret lives of sin. Private prodigality is evident in people's financial management too, going in debt beyond our ability to pay. We have to have the next thing and spend ourselves into bankruptcy. Well, no matter which son you are, the good news is that the Heavenly Father is prodigal towards all of us. He liberally lavishes us with his love. Our Heavenly Father is once again giving the way the best that he has. The Father gives us all of his son, Jesus Christ. He does it recklessly, pouring out grace and mercy in full, knowing that full well, moments after we receive this Lord's Supper, we're going to start sinning all over again. But knowing that we are prone to that, he continues to lavish his love on us. He continues to do this until the kingdom of God comes in its full glory and the full inheritance of the Father is granted for eternity. Celebration is right around the corner. The party's actually started. The Father is beseeching you, imploring you, begging you, come to the party. Let's pray. Father, we praise you so much for your incredible generosity that you pour out your grace on people who think they deserve it and people who think they don't deserve it. 
God, move in all of us, regardless of which son we see ourselves, to focus instead on you, on your goodness, on your generosity, that you don't pour forgiveness out in little tiny increments, but you fully saturate our lives with it, quenching every need for forgiveness we have and more. God, as you invite us into your celebration, we enter into it with joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.